Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Dog Days, where in this episode we're joined by ex-Welsh football player David Cotterall. Uh, today we speak about his career, but also the effects of mental health uh, and the importance of understanding that. This is the Dog Days with Ollie Scott, Junior Eldstar and Ian McKenzie. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to episode nine of the Dog Days. Made it to nine. We made it to nine. We're only four away now. Um, apparently, that tainted the, number. Yes, number thirteen. We need to get it past thirteen. In this episode, we are joined by the wonderful David Cotterill, ex Welsh football player. Hello, David. How are you doing? Hi, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, good. good thank you, sir. I'm going to ask you already to come close to the microphone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and we're live. And we're live. And we're live. And we're live. live. On, on, my case. On, uh, on, on Channel on, Four. Now. Please do not swear. <laughs> um, David, mate, thank you so much for joining us today. It's uh, it's amazing having you on. Um, I, I guess to, I managed to wiggle him on. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we've ex- we've extended. We've now exhausted Pooch's contacts and football. <laughs> <laughs> and David, so we're, we're fucking thankful to have you here, man. Um, no, maybe thank you for coming along. I guess uh, as as a three, we're really keen to chat to you about your career um, and obviously how you went all the way from Wales to Calcutta, which I still want to hear more about. And a genuinely honest opinion on the what honest it was like. Opinion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but equally, uh, and it's been in the news recently that you've been very open around um, mental health and I think one of the most important things about this podcast is that we are honest and we speak about how we felt through the tough times as well as the great times hence the name the dog days um, which if you want us to define it it basically means the sultry time of summer but um, our definition is the the times where you experience the most vulnerability um, so I guess without further ado I'd love to go into your your story and your life um, maybe let's start Let's start Bristol. in football. Yeah. <laughs> Bristol City. Yeah, yeah. So where, where did it begin for you? Where, where did it all start? Um, so I started playing when I was like six or seven. And then um, I played actually in ba- a place called Barry, you know, obviously Gavin and Stacey. All that, oh, yeah, is that right? That neck of the words. But I was originally from Cardiff. So we had to, my dad had to make me travel there because there was no team set up for that age group. So played there until um, I was about 10. And then there's a Bristol City scout there who took me to obviously Bristol. Um, and then that's when I used to travel like two or three times a week to, you know, try and be a professional footballer, so wow. to speak. What age was that? Was that sort of... Yes, yeah, so that was 10 to the age of um, 17, because that's when I, you know, transferred to, to Wigan at that age. Wow, okay. So back and forth to Bristol City and then straight yeah. into The Wigan. drive ain't too bad though, is it, from Carly? Yeah, the drive's actually all right, but, you know, my dad would like finish work, rush around, and yeah. next you know, you just, you know, he's putting his foot down to try and make sure I was on time for training yeah. and things, and it's, you know, it's hard work. Was Parents. there any football in the family? To be fair, I've got a good footballing background. None of them have made as a footballer, but they all should have. They were just, you know, probably got too much interest in girls and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, the usual sort of banter. I don't know anyone that's like that. I know no one that's like yeah. that. <laughs> so, okay, then Wigan City, that's where I guess it started professionally for you. Wigan City. Wigan, Wigan, Wigan Athletic. Wigan Athletic, Thank yes. you. Can we just horrendous. Yeah, let me just point out, David, there's going to be a few gaps I made. Yeah, this. that's uh, fine. His favourite player is Mark Overmars. Mark, do you know what, actually? Let's take on this for a moment. Mark Overmars, Patrick Vieira, Dennis Burkham, it was the wonderful. So all the Arsenal, <laughs> yeah, Ray Parler. If you, if you want to go further back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. So, so Wigan Athletic, um, which I guess is kind of is that far from home? Is that far from? Yeah, well, yeah, it's about four or five hours from you know Cardiff, especially going there from the age of. So, I basically bought my first property when I was seventeen, mm-hmm. and we moved with my ex-wife. Um, I won't go into too much detail about her on this. I won't give her the time of day, but uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay. We um, we moved into my place in Bristol for two days, and I transferred to Wigan, which is you know all up in the years on transfer deadline day. Yeah, wow. As a seventeen-year-old, you wow. know, going to the Premier League and all that sort of stuff, it was Jesus. intense. But so you bought somewhere at seventeen. Is that from the money that you've made? Uh, yeah, in, in with obviously yeah, leading up to leading up well, through my Bristol City, you know, short career. That yeah. So where did you sign your first pro? At Bristol City. You signed your first pro. Yeah, at Bristol. so summer, but I got my first pro, pro contract when I was fourteen. Okay. So Man United wanted to sign me when I was fourteen. I refused to to go because I thought you know better to stay at Bristol City, learn my trade, and you, you know, refused to go to Man U. Realistically, you're going to make it into Bristol City's first team a lot sooner than you are at Man United. So right. I kind of was went that a decision down that you route. decided to make solely, or was it? No, that was with my me and my dad. Really, yeah. my dad was just like you know just keep learning your trade here, really, and that was the best best place. It was a good academy. They always gave youngsters a chance, and and that's what I decided to do. When did you break through in their team then at Bristol City? I was 16 when I made my debut. First and team debut. First team debut. Right. And how many appearances had you made before uh, Wigan? What I probably made about fifty or sixty appearances from being a sixteen-year-old to then moving at seventeen. So it was quite wow. a lot of you know mm. games in that short space of time. So in the chat in the championship in League One. Oh, in League One. Yeah. yeah. Did you, so back in like obviously I oh, know you're not that old, mate, but um, <laughs> uh, was agent like an agent's job as important as it is in like today's football? Yeah, I was, an agent that age. Yeah, you, I had an agent. Just... I had an agent when I was fifteen, the age of fifteen. Um, they're not supposed to sign you, but they, you know they. Yeah, you know, they sponsored by, you. I was sponsored by like Nike from the age yeah, of fifteen, cool. and so on, or looking after those sort of things. Um, and then it just yeah, they sort of my first deal out of Bristol City, and then we just went from there. Yeah, what was that transition like? You know, when you said obviously with footballers, it's hard to settle down in there, isn't it? So you bought your first house, and then you were like, oh, by the way, we're moving. That's, that, that just sums up a whole footballer's life. You settle at <laughs> one place, and then yeah. next thing you know, you're on your bike again because whether the manager don't like you or politics are involved, they just... So yeah, one, one, one a lot of people say, oh yeah, footballers get paid X amount of money. Mm. No one else is moving around as much as a footballer, and the, your life is just completely upside down. And the whole time. It, yeah, it's just no real stability, really. You never, you never actually think about... Because we've got a friend that plays football. He was, he was playing in, in Mansfield, then he went down to um, Leighton. You know, I, I never actually think about the geographical differences in yeah. these places. So, like the local area of Mansfield, if you look around the area, it's completely different to where you know you're used to living in, or, or perhaps you might be used to living in that sort of place. I don't know, but it's. I find that must be a very big. You forget about the cultural shift as a football player that you've I, got to make. I think it is when you've got kids involved and stuff because yeah. you don't really. It's not always necessary about you. You have to think about your kids are getting to a certain age. They're settled into a school. The next, you know, by the way, we're going somewhere else. It's not. You know, you have to think about these situations, but. As I said, people from the the outside of things, they just think it's easy, right? He's on X amount of money. Mm. That's easy, just move your mm. family. But you have to think about how the kids feel as well. But mm. you know. but at seventeen, I guess you weren't. Um, there weren't kids there, was it? Were you sort of just flying by the seat of your pants, like, okay, yeah, this is brilliant. I'm, I'm diving into the next place. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I was just so focused on, you know, obviously playing in the Premier League. That's what everyone wanted to do. I couldn't yeah. wait to be on match of the day and, and yeah. all, what every boy dreams to be doing, really. So that was kind of my focus. I was happy to be going to the Premier League, and and then um, it was quite tough when we first. First went there because it took us a while to, um, you know, find a place. It was not long before I was eighteen as well, so it was, you know, it was, temptations. Yeah, going out, ID comes through the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, we actually, me and my girlfriend at the time, well, we we didn't really have, um, you know, it was just us two. We didn't have yeah. no one that we knew up there, so it was it was kind of tough. Oh, she was quite well behaved then when you first. You, you were eighteen. You're playing Premier League football. Mm. And you weren't going out and smashing it. No, I wasn't. I wasn't really drinking and stuff at that age. Wow. Come, I kind of become a rebel later on in life. So how did it then progress? Then how did it go? Where did it go? Well, from? you went. Was it after Wigan? You went to Sheffield, didn't you? Yeah, I went. So I, I was at Wigan, and because I was so used to from like an early age playing week in, week out. When mm. I was like being left out by the manager or not playing, mm. 
I didn't really necessarily have an arm around me to say, right, this is what you need to do to get back in the team. It was kind of like you left your own devices, like even though you're younger, and it was just like, right, you do what you need to do, and I just need to focus on what I'm doing in life. What, is, what was um, the standard like in training then from going from League One to Premier League? Did you feel like you were working... Are you able to work at that standard, able to train at that standard? Yeah, I was already in like the Welsh national team, but it was not the quality of what it is today. Because um, in the Welsh national team, we had like Ryan Giggs, who was playing, well, everyone knows what he's been doing. Yeah. Was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> probably <laughs> win the uh, Premier League or, you know, sleeping with his brother's missus. Or something. <laughs> um, but it was, so it was that sort of stuff that was going on. And, and then you'd have like someone who was in a conference, then training with us who was like mm. mixed quality so but, but with Wigan you had you know you had Emil Heskey and other people who's played at good clubs and it was good good uh, standard so it was you know I felt like I needed to practice and work hard to get to their level yeah was that the year that they made it to FA Cup final Wigan no no that was they I think they did that when I left how was it yeah so how did you also from talking about Wales when was your first sort of international call up so I was for Wales? I was I was training with them when I was 16, mm-hmm. um, but then I made my debut when I was 17. Wow. So I actually came on for Giggs, who was my hero. And, no way. And I became like... on for Giggs. Yeah, so I, he was my hero. So like, And then I became the youngest player to play for Wales at that time. But we had so many youngsters coming through. It changed within about every two or three weeks. <laughs> yeah, and it was yeah. like, you had the record crazy. for a week. Yeah, I had a record for a week. So What was your position? What were you coming on as? Uh, I know I your was position, played, but like, when you were coming for Wigan, were they... Sorry for Wales, what were they bringing you on as? Uh, just, yeah, I was played on the wing. Oh yeah? yeah, yeah. Is that where you've always felt most? Yeah. Well, first off, I started off as a striker because I was always quicker than all the defenders. So I just just knock it over the heads and score goals back in the day. That's yeah. what most kids do, don't they? When they, but um, yeah, I I thought I always had like good delivery and you know I was always wanting to be a winger as well because you know Giggs is my main man. <laughs> so the move then from Wigan to Sheffield, how was that? Because again, I'm, I'm bothered about the, ge- the geography here, but that's quite a big. That's that's quite up far away north. So away from family. It was, it was like an hour, hour and a half from Manchester to Sheffield, but it was a bit of a, like, it was always busy with, like, traffic-wise, so you had to give a little bit longer time. But mm. um, it was fine. It was still, I still lived in Manchester, and then I did, used to travel over. We used to have a car school with me, James Beatty, Gary Speed, and Gary Naismith. I don't know if you remember yeah. all those guys. Yeah, um, yes, yeah, so we used to travel over together in a car school. Oh, really? So I went on loan initially, um, and then, you know, obviously impressed, and then that's when they signed me permanently. Wow. I was around about nineteen twenty to go to go there. So already by twenty, you've lived in three or four different locations. Yeah, and you're playing with these big characters as well, right? Yeah, Gary Speed, Giggsy. Like, did they have a massive influence in your career when you were? Young? Um, Speed did just because he. I travel in with him. He was always like a nice guy, and I would tried helping everyone mm. else out. He's like tried to you know be a good influence on people and. You know, he's a great professional and, and obviously spending so much time in a car, yeah. you'd be an idiot not to pick someone's brains like, yeah, yeah, you know, cool. a legend like him. So, um, but he was always, you know, great to me and, and my family and things. And whereas like when he was with Wales, Giggs wouldn't, he'd keep more keep himself to himself and wouldn't really interact with the us that much, to be honest. The young lads, no. No. What do you think that Giggsy, to be fair? No, I thought he'd be a bit of a leader. No, to be fair, no, he's a he's a ledge like like he was ledge to mm. to us. He wouldn't like ignore the youngster play, younger players, but he wouldn't. Um, you know, if we were doing if we were doing stuff together, maybe as a group, he wouldn't always necessarily be involved. Just because, to be quite honest, he was he was too famous. Like when we when yeah, we go yeah. places, like when we have an away game, we would people camp outside the hotel just to see him. They mm. didn't even know we were. Wow. There was this thing of, well with gigs was that. Um, it was kind of a running joke that he never was always injured for well selection, wasn't there? It was like a running joke. But then when it was, he was getting picked for United like a week later. I remember yeah. that being as a running joke because I think back then Wales, 
were not as competitive as they were in the last sort of ten, well, five years. I think. Mm. I think. I think Fergie probably protected him a bit, didn't he? he wanted him obviously yeah. available to play for United and and so on. I don't know. Yeah, what the script was with yeah. that, really. Well, no, I, think, I think it's not just gigs. It happened with Skulls. It happened with quite a lot of Man United yeah, internationals. Yeah, I think Fergie convinced them that international football was Shite. detrimental to their success. <laughs> it's just like, it's even though it's like it's amazing, so obviously you want to represent your country, but yeah. I think, you know, maybe he was trying to say, look, your longer term is going to be club football. I don't know what yeah. he's trying to maybe implement. I wonder what would, if it would be different if he was playing for England. If, 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 if I think England would have won the World Cup, you know, if again, if, if, if Geeks, Geeks, yeah, they did. Well, they needed a left winger, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Skulls on the left wing, come on, like, yeah. it's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> it's best set midfielder yeah. in England, he's playing on the left wing. <laughs> yeah, because well, we had those midfielders, they just, those four great midfielders, they just tried putting them yeah, all over them. Whereas, like, if it was the, because back then it was always like, right, 4 4 2, and that's how it's going to be. Yeah, Whereas, like, yeah. now, if you had like a, a forward thinking coach, you would have changed the formation and made sure that they were yeah. playing in a you know, to get the best out of them, basically. Yeah. What was it like getting called up for Wales, like, with the family and stuff? It must have been a massively a proud moment. Yeah, it was unbelievable. You know, obviously, um, that's what you want to do. And it's just, like, obviously, further your career to be involved in international football. And then, um, yeah, it was a proud moment. It was good. But my dad's actually background is he's English as well. So he was, oh, okay. I don't know whether he was devastated or proud. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Declan Rice had to make that decision, didn't he, recently, to play for England or Ireland. Yeah. yeah. He, chose, he chose England. Of course he is. He's, yeah. he's doing, he's he's doing really well. He's so he's, <laughs> yeah, got, yeah. He's going to be, he's gonna be in probably the next England squad. So it's yeah, no brainer. Yeah. So after, obviously, after going to Sheffield, he then went back to Wales, back to Swansea, not your hometown. How was that? How was that? It must have been. It was, it was, I was happy to go back to Wales because I had um, a young uh, Kingston. My son was, I think he was like young at that time. He was, you know, three or four, mm. it might have been. Um, and I just wanted to maybe, you know, he can see his grandparents and see mm. family and all that sort of thing. So I was thinking, right, get back home for a little while. And, and Swansea were playing great football. They were improving all the time and they had, you know, great um, ambitions to take to the, take the club forward. And I wanted to be a part of it. So, and I, I wanted like a different culture because even though it's like in the same division, Swansea were playing a style of football that I liked with a passing ball where it's like, you know, Kevin Blackwell at Sheffield United was always like screaming at younger players to do this and do that. He didn't know how to look after younger players, to be quite honest. And um, yeah, it was just too old school. Yeah. You must have obviously played with a lot of managers and stuff. Like what? I know you said the type of football you like to play is obviously football like playing from the back and stuff obviously that's quite foreign isn't it playing in England a lot of gaffers just want you to pump it long win the second balls and stuff so what gaffer did you play under that you fucking like you absolutely loved and who did you um, I think Paolo Souza was good at Swansea because I first went there he was you know different background and uh, <laughs> I remember this time actually he was telling me and this other guy about football and, and he, he obviously won the Champions League back to back he's like one of the only players who's done that in history and um He's like, oh, this is what you should do to look after your body. We're in the showers, right, at this point. <laughs> and he's full on bollock naked and he's stretching on the floor, like, putting his, this is how you should stretch your hamstring. I was like, I was like Gaffer, we'll, we'll leave that for another time. But um, other than that, we was, he, Brendan Rodgers was obviously very good as well. Um, he came on board, took us to a next level. Um, I think his training is the best training I've had in terms of um, just the way it was planned and structured and it was always unbelievable training. Um but I just fell out of favour with him. I, I missed two penalties and for Swansea on back-to-back, which obviously you don't really want to be doing. <laughs> I'd never seen the pitch then after that. And really? then that's how we, you know, that's how 
it went down. How hard, isn't it? Football, like it's literally make or break. That can literally determine. What's it like to to miss a penalty for in in that standard of football? Um, And what were your feelings stepping up to take well the first and the second? Yeah, like I've even since then I've stepped up for penalties always. Even even when I was at like Sheffield United before that, I was like nineteen twenty, and I would I'd be taking the penalties because I'm just one of these people that you know I I back my ability to step Mm. up, take the corners, do this. Because you have to, you know, have to back yourself, and mm. like, even miss those penalties, I wouldn't then hide not to take one again. No, some players do, don't they? To be fair, yeah, you just have to put yourself on the, you have to put yourself on the front line. How did it feel then? Because we spoke about before we start the podcast around politics of football. I mean, that's not so much a political thing; it's more of an ability decision. But it seems quite, it seems quite harsh to not play somebody because they've missed two penalties. I think that's just the way it was. Though I think he pulled me one stage and just said, "Look, I think that you've had." Um, a lot from like a young age in the sense of maybe giving it too early or what, whatever his thinking was. But that's where, my poli- that's where it comes down to the politics and how you manage people. So, okay, if, if you have been given that as a youngster, mm. what are you going to do as a manager to help a youngster be a better person or whatever it might be rather than just get them out the door? Right, you're not my issue anymore. See you later. Yeah. So that's why I think a lot of managers do. They just, what you have to, they have to focus on their own career because nowadays, you know, they might get sacked at any given time but then you know this is where I think in football like the well-being of the players as a person needs to come into action a lot Mm. more rather than just the footballer in them yeah you feel like a bit like um, cattle don't you yeah well that's what I always refer back to every time I do these things you're just like a piece of meat because you're on a conveyor belt it's like the same thing when when I've recently retired the PFA didn't even contact me when I retired. Mm. To see how you were but then you or... contacted me to put money into a ske- like a PFA pension scheme or whatever you want me to do. But then yeah. when I retire, well, you don't even send me an email to say, you know, congratulations on a career, whatever it might be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's all still run like a business rather than looking after people. Yeah. I think they just tick too many boxes to say, like, we are actually looking after them without yeah. doing a great job of it. People forget footballers are humans, aren't they? Mm. So at the... At Swansea, how old are you at the moment? At what age? Um, you when you started getting I think I was... Favor? 21, 22, I think. Mm. Still young. What, still young. What do you think? Like... It, how do you think um, Brendan Rodgers, for example, could have changed your ability to perform at that club or, or got you back in the team? What I think sort maybe, of management would you have liked at that? At I that think stage? maybe just like a bit of confidence to say, like, right, you've missed those two penalties, but um, you know, work this way to get back in the team or work that kind of way. It was kind of like, well, no, you've done that, so now you need to change the scenery, kind of thing, rather than. Not give me that, not false hope, but give me hope that you know what. If you go back and work hard and prove to me that you can go back in a team, then you know you got a chance. But mm. it was kind of like we'll see you later, sort of thing. Really? Right? Was it even communicated to you, or is it just you were dropped? No, it was just yeah, it was just dropped. So I went on the bench um, for the game after that. Then I did one made the the squad. Um, it's kind of weird because I was still in like the Welsh squad and then playing for Wales, but then one making the Swansea squad. It was mm. bizarre, but. Um, yeah, and then that's that's it. Then I was just, and then I went to see him, and I just said, "Look, what's happening? It looks like you know I should go out on loan, or you know, because I don't want to just not play here. Uh, just sit on the bench or whatever it might be. I want to play. Every player wants to play, so that was it. The dreaded knock on the gaffer's door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how, how do those, how do those conversations? Because there is is the gaffer. Um, this gaffer man is he is he sitting in his office and you can just walk over you can walk and knock on the door being like hi man I know you're really busy but can I get on the pitch yeah How- no he's, he was really approachable to be fair he's actually a nice guy Brendan Rodgers um, it's just obviously it just didn't work out for me in, in mm. that sense but from like an early age even 18, 19 if I was not in the Wigan squad or whatever I was always told from an early age well don't make it easier for a manager like go and 
confront him and say, well, yeah. why are you not in the team? What can I do to improve to get in the squad or whatever mm. it might be as a younger guy? And that's what I always did from like an early age. So you always asked the, the captain, or sorry, the, um, the coach, what the was captain, you doing? Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, I always asked like the manager whenever I was like left out or if I wasn't in the starting lineup for whatever reason, I was always make sure I'd stick it on his toes mm. to say like, well, why? Give me a reason instead of making it easy for him. Outside looking in, it might be easy to say this because I, I don't play professional football, but I feel like sometimes those could be tests for you, for football players to just, in training, just do extra hours, do that kind of stuff. Is that, do people do that to try and get into the team? Because I just, that's my automatic thing, like, why don't you just train more? But that's so easy for me to say because mm. I'm sat watching, mm. eating a pie. The thing is, is that football's like quite a mad thing because you could have a player who's just scored one or two goals and literally the next week you could be dropped and there won't be no reasoning whatsoever for it mm. or it'd be just like a, a stupid one that they just give just to, you know, just get away with it kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's why, like, football is just like a roller coaster. It's crazy because one minute you're up, that's what I mean, one minute you're putting one in the top corner, then you're missing two penalties. And before you know, you're not even in the squad. So it's stuff like that happens on a regular basis. But, like, people do practice and work on the game um, and they try and prove a point. But sometimes, you know, it's it's like anything. If you, if you, because you're so, you're wanting to play so much to, to be the best you can. And when you've got someone trying to take that away from you, it's, Sometimes the easy thing to do is, well, you know, you get angry you then. <laughs> you know, you're saying that there's no one really there because I think that'll be. I, I personally, doing my own thing with the business, I need mentors around me. I need to bounce ideas off people. It doesn't sound like you have one. I mean, your agent, but then they're they're kind of not really your friend or your mentor. They're there to make money out of you. Is the captain? That is, it, it's a really basic question. But is the captain there to help mentor? There to help guide you into getting back into the squad? Or not, not really? really? No. Like captains nowadays have changed. Very towards the end of my career, like early on, you get captains who would fight for everyone in that dressing room. Now they're thinking. I don't want to step on the manager's toes because I'm captain of the club. Why would I go and jeopardise my mm. career, my earnings? What's but changed? They just play the game. The, they play the game the right way, probably. That's yeah. why would, when you get captains who, who spend a long time at the clubs, probably because I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them are great leaders and they're great mm. around the dressing room. I'm not denying that part. But also they, they know how to play the game the right way. <laughs> they, they can, they're thinking, right, well, you know, I've got like a two or three year contract be friendly with a manager end of my contract they give me another one or two years and mm. and that's they just play the game the right way and this I'm not denying they're not good players and good mm. people as well but I think back in the day you'd have um, captains who would stick up for their players a lot more it's amazing you're thinking of Vinnie Jones aren't you I'm not thinking of Tony Adams actually yeah yeah that's what I'm thinking of because yeah. I I just it does seem and I, I'd love to get into this a bit more but it does seem like football has especially in the last decade or two, mm. really moved into being much more of a business focus. The, the politics you're, you're talking about remind me of a business that I've worked with. You know? yeah, and then yeah. the, the way you describe the captain sounds like a bit of a dickhead director I've worked with before. You know? yeah. like it sound, and, and it, you, you link it very easily. Whereas I, I think about my, my rugby club, which is a local rugby club, they don't compete, you know, whatever, in, in, in these leagues. And it is, the captain will be like, well, man, you can, why have you taken him off? And it will say these things like, yeah. and, and then the, the squad will go against the manager and the manager's like, oh yeah, maybe I'm in the wrong. Whereas that, it sounds like, well, your, your, your pay, your huge pay, your lifestyle, everything that's connected to your bank balance, to your uh, craft and sport is so important that it's not even worth speaking about. Yeah. So everyone just stays quiet. Do you think the role of a captain then is devalued in, in football? I feel like it's some clubs you don't, I couldn't even tell you who the captain no, is. Even at, like, they always chop and change that, don't they? I know Spurs, obviously Larice, but then like United, I wouldn't be so sure mm. who it is this day. Yeah, yeah like changes quite a lot, but I, I can only speak from obviously like the club level and stuff. I have had, you know, really good captains and they have stuck up for the lads. 
Um, but they've been generally like old school type of players who's yeah, had like a yeah. long career and they've got that respect. Yeah. And then they only know one way to stick up for the lads. But internationally wise, they're always to be fair, the captains they're always stuck up for us as a whole. They always want the best for the lads and mm. there's no coincidence that the captain who stuck up for us when we with Wales, we then would then qualify for the Euros because we were always such a close knit group and they always wanted yeah. the best for each other. What sort of things do they they do? I know you mentioned um, about bail and bonuses and that kind of stuff. Is it you know is it always financial or are there other things that captains kind of do to stick up for the team? No, they just yeah, just the whole kind of structure of how we're trying to do. If if they want to qualify for things or you want to win a league or you want to do this, you want to do that. How are you going to do it? You need to make sure the things off the field are right as well in mm. terms of um, communication and just make sure everything's professionally done that's right. Yeah. Mm. You know, down to like the food got to be on time or whatever it is because you have those standards to get to that level. Yeah. So when, okay, let's move moving on back, from... Back at Swansea. Yeah, well, yeah, Swansea. yeah, so you just, you're out of favour at Swansea. Where, where, are you, where are you off to next? So you, have you asked for so, to, to leave the club or...? Yeah, so I've, we managed to um, leave the club, get a payoff and... So when you obviously see the termination of a contract, is basically a player getting paid a, a percentage of his contract to then go on to his next to destination, away, yeah. basically. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> fuck <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. So it's then I went to... So I went to... So it was coming towards the end of that season, so I didn't want to move my family, so I basically went to Barnsley to play, which I didn't really want to because I didn't want to be back up north and... And I didn't feel it was the best club for me in terms of I've I felt like it was a big drop down from where I was mm. with Swansea. Mm. One ideally situation, not club, not a club because they were the great and the fa- uh, the fans were great as well. Um, and I, I didn't really want to do that to be honest. And then after that, I went to Dean Saunders, who's um, obviously another Welsh guy. He was manager at Doncaster, and he said, you know, do you want to come and play for me and enjoy football? And and then asked, and that was League One. And so I just thought, right, it's just get my head down, get Doncaster promoted, mm. do well, and then move again. So that was... But they got was, a good fan base as well, didn't they? Yeah, they, we were decent that year. We uh, Well, we got promoted. Um, I managed to get in, like, team of the year, and that's when, believe it or not, that's when I was drinking a hell of a lot of alcohol. So <laughs> really, maybe that was the best thing for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> but were you, drinking, was, you was, this, was this drinking alcohol as a coping mechanism for any sort of pain, or you were just enjoying partying? Like No, I was thinking, uh, well, I was... Just experiencing, recently experiencing, I didn't really want to be with my wife at that time. Um, with one getting on, I didn't really like to be around her, to be honest. When marriage breaks down, you don't really want to be around them. Mm. Um, so we were like arguing all the time. Um, and then I was just like making any excuse just to go out. I was, I was seeing a counsellor and stuff at that time as well, just to, you know, to suffer, you know, just sort my mental health out sort of thing. Um, but people would, didn't really notice. They would think that I was just going to see a counsellor for other reasons, but yeah. I was... But when, when did that start then, the, the counselling? Um, probably around about six, seven years ago, but I was always speaking to people, uh, but I just didn't tell anyone. It was just me and that person, mm-hmm. like not even my wife at that time knew. Um, just out of interest, what kind of... Because I think a lot of people struggle to get to that, even the point of going to see somebody. Yeah. What was the light bulb moment to go, I, I, I should probably go and speak to... Probably just doing stupid. I was just getting so drunk and just doing <laughs> stupid things all mm. the time. Do you know, it just comes to a point where you're just like, you have to grab your life. Back yeah, you have to try and grab some sort mm. of, you know, hold of it, and it was just, otherwise just spiral out of control. But um, yeah, I was just drinking all the time. I was then going to training and playing and, and doing 
you know, so on and just getting into trouble, really. But wow. you, you said, yeah, obviously you got in the team of the year and that, and you said, obviously, it was one of the best. Se- or did you enjoy that season? I know you were seeing the counter as well, but on the pitch wise, were you, were you enjoying yourself? Or Yeah, I, yeah because I, I got back to my confident self in terms of every time I went on that pitch, I was thinking I was going to score or yeah. we were going to win or I was going to make an assist. And, and in my own arrogant kind of way, I just yeah. thought, I'm the best player on the pitch. So who, Gives a shit. So you really. had a bit of like, you <laughs> basically had a bit of yin yang, didn't you? Yeah. So like everything was going well for you on the pitch, but off the pitch, things were harder. Were they harder or were, they, or were you just enjoying yourself? Yeah, more? They, that's what um, Personal life, it was a tough, tough part, yeah. Because mm. um, if anyone goes through a divorce, if you're dealing with like a poisoned ex partner, mm. it's, it's just no getting through to these people. So. And there's children there as well. Which <laughs> when there's children it. involved, it makes it really difficult. And yeah. it was just like mad things that were going on. and you know, and, and this and that. And, but then on on the football-wise, we were just about to win the league. I, guess, I don't know if you remember, we um, there's three teams who could, could have got promoted in the top two. Of, so it was, it was us, Brentford and um, Bournemouth from League One. And we were top of the league and we were playing Brentford, but Bournemouth were winning their match and they would that would make them win the league. Wow. So Brentford had a penalty on the 90th minute we were playing against them. They hit the crossbar. We went down the other end and scored. So we mm-hmm. went from basically Mad. playoff position Jesus. to winning the league in in one minute. And they actually <laughs> present. They thought that we lost at Bournemouth, so they presented them the trophy of winning the league. But mm, they, I remember, yeah. So I wrote on social media, "You need to bring that trophy back to us." <laughs> so <laughs> when we, so when James Coppinger scored in the like ninety first minute or whatever it was, um, we got promoted. I just remember that us jumping on the coach just. I was like, get to the nearest booze and we're getting <laughs> shit again. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, I just remember our manager, Brian Flynn, I know him quite well because he was my manager of the Wales and the 21s back in, back in the day and he was just, he was hanging out the window with a cigar because he smoked cigars. <laughs> we're rocking the bus, just steaming on the really? way back. Yeah. yeah, We just ended up going out in our tracksies. I remember going out in the tracksies, I had my Air Jordans on in a nightclub. Love would you, would you go to, because I've, I've witnessed um, just from Pooch, you know, there's, there's football life, so we go to like nightclubs and all that sort of stuff. Was it that kind of partying or was it just like being in a pub? And we were in just like, to be fair, we went out in Doncaster. There's not um, wow. sort of like, it's not like going out in London where you've yeah, got no. like these high-end tables and stuff where you're purely just, you know, like a, similar to like a Weatherspoons or something, just yeah. like slipping all over the floor, booze everywhere. Do you know what That's my kind of piss up though. Way to be fair, it's just one of the best nights. The fans <laughs> interact with you. Would you be interacting with them even? Yeah, they were just they were just all around us. I think I had my shirt off at one stage and <laughs> this guy had, had my uh, Doncaster tracksuit on. Really? <laughs> Love that. Love that. <laughs> but you, obviously well, not in this very moment, you're really caring about it, but were you still having ambitions at this point to go back to the Premier League? Were you still... You know what? We, what did you think at this point was going to happen for your football yeah, career? Yeah, because our manager Dean Saunders, he actually went to Wolves and he was trying to sign me on, a, you know, a few times. And so after Doncaster, Birmingham wanted to sign me. So there's always aspirations to go to bigger clubs and just, you know, obviously mm. just further your career. Is that always there? It's just when you're playing, even if it's going well, you're always just thinking, what's the next? What's the next? Yeah, you just kind of like reach a place where you want to do as best you can on the pitch but you just know that's going to take care of itself but yeah, sure. when you reach like a certain level you think well you're seeing other people get moves and they didn't hardly do anything and, it's, and some players will be thinking well I've done enough to get a good move and sometimes it doesn't happen unfortunately Politics. already that must create a real like an anxiety kind of ridden scenario I think when you just see these other players getting big moves getting more money getting more money and you're sitting there thinking like even though it's going well you must be like oh I deserve that move I deserve the move just I think there's you must compare yourself to other players on a on a daily basis. I think it's just kind of like it depends what sort of 
character you are as well because you know when when I was like young younger and you get a certain amount of contract or you buy in certain certain cars and stuff it goes against you because you say oh right he's big time you get that you get reputation really mm. quickly in football and sometimes it's not necessarily the right one um, or the right views from people who are actually saying it but because they you know they get in people's heads or they're maybe more well respected or a bigger name than you they'll take his advice over yours and it's kind of like you always trying to prove yourself and and sometimes it's not the person you actually are or what they're betraying you to be, basically. Perception's a horrendous mm. thing, well, isn't it? Why is it, like, a cliche to get the, the fast cars and to spend the money on these kind of things? What What is it about that scenario in football that makes you end up purchasing these these things? I think, one, because you probably can, because they, you have the money to do so, but also you've worked extremely hard to get to that level just because even if you're 18 and 19, you didn't just become a professional footballer or become a... Uh, it's what, true what Messi says. He's like, it's, took, it's taken me 17 years mm. to be an overnight success. It's true. He's mm. worked all his life to become a footballer. It don't just happen. And so you want to have nice things. It doesn't make you any less of a person just yeah, because you drive a Bentley or an Aston Martin or whoever it might mm. be. You're still... You're just fortunate enough to be young enough, mm. but you just... Have does, that it, does it lose its status? Because I imagine, like, okay, you're in a you're in a football car park, and everyone has got a supercar. It's like, okay, Lamborghini, Aston Martin. Would it not? <laughs> it's just my. Would it not be more sort of nonconformist to roll in like a three wheeler? Well, Kante <laughs> rolls Kante in as a mini, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. See, I quite I like that. I, that. I mean, that to me would be the best thing. You know, when we speak about being ambassadors of mental health, especially within sport. Wouldn't that be quite a cool thing to do for a football player to suddenly sort of like, do you know what? I'm. We can all buy these things. It doesn't make us any different. No, to be fair, like a lot of you know, a lot of people are like that. It's not every, really? not every you know, um, car park is like that. There are people, players who choose just to live the low, low life, low key sort of thing, and um, and that's how they choose. But it's like anything in life. It's you know, if you got someone wearing like a yellow shirt and just crazy pants on a night out, but then you've got someone in a black t-shirt, would you call them boring for being a black t-shirt? No. Or just, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like the yeah. same thing. You you know, everyone likes different things and, and everyone's different in their way. But is there a, a competitive nature in, in the dressing room with cars and those um, kind of Not that I experienced, no, no. Not really, no. And it's not something I would, you know, you'd be sure, say if I was trying to compete against, you know, Bale, for example, yeah. or oh, I'm going to copy him, get a car, because he can just go out and get a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> so you your car, my you yacht. To, yeah, you need, to, you need to know your levels. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> was it mad? Was it mad watching Bale go from literally Southampton to now being like obviously Madrid? Yeah, it was crazy. Alongside him, well, you always thought that he was. He had an unbelievable like left foot, and he was always ability-wise, he was you know unbelievable, but. It was just like a mad period. He just he was low on confidence. I remember him coming away with Wales, and he, he was at that time when he was not getting picked for Tottenham. And when he did play for Tottenham, he, yeah. they lost like twenty games. So it was kind of like oh, so I don't want to put him on because he's going to lose. I'm going to confess, I'm a Spurs fan. I remember booing him when um, <laughs> <laughs> I was at the Cravey Cottage, and he was being brought on, and we had this record, yeah, where he, he hadn't won. So we were like, "Fuck it, we're going to lose now." He's coming on, <laughs> and I remember booing Bale, and I'm like. It's so mad to see, and now the jokes. I was on you. begging, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was what begging changed? him not to leave, and then like only two years later or three years later, that that was that was happening. So what changed in his? Because he's getting booed twenty games in a row. What? I think he just got confident again because you know how Redknapp was. What I hear about was you know grilling him maybe and saying this and that and and trying to. And one putting his arm around him to give him that confidence because he's, you know, at that probably at that age as well, going to Tottenham, big big money move at that time, 
and going to, to London when you're from Cardiff and then going to London as a young guy, this is a this whole different life change, isn't mm-hmm. it? So um, kind of, I think he maybe not, might have needed a bit more support around him, um, which I'm probably sure he got it from his agent and things. But, you know, he's it's, it's like a young guy, isn't mm-hmm. he? And he? You're putting so much pressure on him and you're hammering him maybe and you just need that confidence. And, and obviously when he got that, you can see what he's done. Yeah, there was a... I think Redknapp said, maybe in his book or something, that Bale used to come and like step up to do free kicks and training and he just always like play with his hair and just look like he cared about the wrong things and he kept sitting out like saying he was injured or, or just didn't have any confidence. I think that was what Redknapp was, was saying. But it might not have been Redknapp, but he basically said that was what was happening until he came in and stepped in and then he built him into... Like, he takes a lot of credit for Gareth Bale's success, I think, the way he speaks. That's what I just noticed. <laughs> David smiles and stays quiet. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, yeah, well, I think probably Gareth would probably have a different view. <laughs> He'd probably just back himself because, you know, yes, the manager has to play him, mm. but Harry Redknapp wanted to sell him to, was it Birmingham or Nottingham Forest? They want, he wanted to sell him for 2.5 million or 3 million mm. of a player of that yeah, quality. Yeah, it's yeah. nothing. It's only until Daniel Levy said, he's not going anywhere because Daniel Levy's a smart guy and said yeah. he's you know he's um, got unbelievable talent and he's probably an asset to the club yeah. that we're going to keep him so I'm sure if Daniel yeah. Levy wasn't there he probably <laughs> would have gone for three yeah, million yeah. and then the club would be you know be gutted because he was always destined to, to be a great player it's amazing what confidence can do in a player right it's so, amazing how the media works in terms yeah. of like what is the story you yeah, heard yeah, and then no, no, it's actually there or as you actually heard yeah. didn't you you had a bit of a dealing with Harry Redknapp once didn't you he was my manager at Birmingham right okay and so, uh, so you went after Doncaster yeah so I went to Birmingham Lee Clark was the manager there mm. oh, I loved him he just used to lose his head on a regular basis I remember him sticking <laughs> his foot through the fridge at one stage he's raging at half time with us went really? to boot the fridge and he smashed the whole thing up but um, he was a good guy actually but he just um, he ended up getting a sack and then Gary Rowett came in there um, built us and but Harry Redknapp eventually took over Birmingham, Birmingham. so Rowett was my my favourite manager because I was on my best time at Birmingham there and just knew how to manage me as a person. He knew I was definitely on the piss nonstop, mm. but just would continue to play me and, and so on. And then Gianfranco Zola came in, negotiated a new contract with Rout previously for two or three months, no, negotiated a new contract with Zola for like a month. Then in January, the last transfer window, he's like rung me up and I was, he's like, oh, I've been told that you need to leave the club otherwise I'm going to make your life hell and you have to train on your own. So it come from nowhere. Obviously, the owners wanted me to train on my own, um, just because I was one of Rowett's players and would speak up and wouldn't give a shit about speaking up, basically. Um, and so that was it. So it was kind of like the same situation we spoke about before. Is, you know, if you're causing a rift or whatever, or you're speaking up for people, then they'll just get you out the door to make their life easier. Um, so, yeah, I was told to leave. So I then went to Bristol City on loan, and I was getting married that summer. Um, so Harry Redknapp came in towards the end of that season, took over. Um, the two managers, Zola and Rao, agreed for me to get married, go on my honeymoon, blah, 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 because I was away with international duty. So when you're away with international duty, they give you extra time off so you can obviously rest up and have family time with normal people as well. Um, and so I had like, so I didn't turn back, turn up for pre-season. I was late because obviously I was on my honeymoon and I had an email off, the, off Birmingham saying, we're going to find you a week's wages. You've not been turned back up on time. So I emailed back saying, you know, I'm going to get the right people 
uh, to get in contact with you because I'm not getting fined a week's wages. You've already been given notice. You knew what was going on and me reporting back late. So I go back into Birmingham training and I was made to train on my own for four or five days. Um, and it was actually quite close to the season starting. And so I was made to train on my own. Um, so I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to go into his office now. I'm not having this. Like, you've not spoken to me for four or five days. You're my manager. So when knocked on his door, he's like, David, David, like, I was, I was about to call you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, you definitely weren't. No. So I was like, um, I just want to have a quick word of you. There's no point me training on my own and you not actually talking to me. It's yeah. pathetic. I'm not going to cause any problems. If mm. you want me to train on my own, I train on my own. But don't make me look like an idiot and bring me in at like eight o'clock at night to train in the dark outside on my own. Do you know what I mean? Like I've got, I've got kids and you know, just make sure I'm training on normal hours, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be fine. So it's like, I don't believe, I can't believe you've got unbelievable ability. You should be playing in any team in this championship. I said, Gaffer, no disrespect, Birmingham almost got, almost, almost got relegated last year and you're not even playing me in this team. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I tried signing you for Spurs and Sportsmouth, you know, when, they, when we were in the Premier League. And I was like, oh, another lie. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so uh, he was actually a really nice guy, to be fair, for that. He just, you know, was at the play of the game as well. He, yeah. He's, he, he's a geezer. Yeah, he's a geezer, isn't he? And he's like, um, so anyway, I pulled him. I trained with the first team then the next day. He put me in the starting lineup then the Saturday. Wow. <laughs> so I went from training on my own to literally starting in a matter of days because you pull him and then you stay in the team a little bit and then wow. you know, and then you end up leaving really. Again, outside looking in, my experience of when Redknapp took over Birmingham was that he was way past his managerial kind of level. I felt like he was completely out of the game at that point. I think most of his career, I don't know, obviously I can't really talk too much about he's like a Tottenham, but... I think he had a you know a good team around him who would take the training as well. Obviously, you know his stuff as well. You don't have a, a managerial career and that longevity if you don't know know your stuff. And he's you know he had a great career. Um, he probably just maybe fancied to change Birmingham. Birmingham's a big club, and he you know he um, managed to stay the ship there by keeping him in the league. So maybe he just wanted to give it a go. I don't know. Mm. But Rowett was. Um... I don't even know why he got fired. To be fair, because he was doing a really good job there, wasn't he? We actually play, we actually played um, Rotherham. We beat them four two, and then we beat Ipswich one nil, and we were three points off second place. And we actually thought, right, January. It was coming up to. It was in December. He got the sack, like around about the fourteenth of December. And um, we were thinking, right, a couple of additions now in January, we're going to get promoted. Do you know when you, you feel like when you're mm. a winning team or a winning thing in life, no matter what you do, you think, right, nothing can stop us. So we were like that. We are thinking, right, two or three signings, we're going to get promoted. So anyway, 14th, 14th of December, around about that day, he pulls us into a meeting and then he just like whispers thinking, you know, he's been sacked. Well. And so we were in like a meeting. So he comes in and he was just like, yeah, they've, been, they've asked me to leave, blah, 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 blah. So then me and him had like a close relationship. So I speak to him after it. And he was just saying like the owner just had a go at him when we beat Rotherham 4-2 because we weren't playing good enough football apparently. Mm. Mm. Um, so, but we were like, and then we obviously got Zola involved. And I think we won like two games in about 26 games. So it's, you're going from, we knew a way of playing, but then you had trying to get players to play total football mm. in like overnight. It's not going to happen. No, no, no. You need Bir to know. Yeah. I, I thought Birmingham were going to go up that year. I do remember. I it. thought it were as well until yeah. obviously that happened. How, so how old were you at Birmingham when you were playing? I was 26. And you'd re so this is you remarrying? You've remarried? No, remarried when I was 
28, 29. Yeah, okay. And then, so from Birmingham, this is what I want to, talk, to dive into. You mm. decide to fuck off to India, basically, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. this is, I, I love this. Because yeah. it's, it's really, you and I were chatting before, and obviously, I don't know how comfortable you feel saying this, but it does feel like you're slowly falling out of love with the game, in a, in a way. And if, and the the Indian move was a solidification of that. And it's I think the Birmingham one, when there was like, so many managers coming on board and then they're trying to force me out, just because do you know what happened? Every time a new manager came into Birmingham, mm-hmm. he'd always reverse back to the older players, even though I wasn't old in age, I didn't feel old, but I always re- reverse back to Gary Rowett's players to actually get them out of the shit, so to speak, to then get us back to winning games or put yeah. a stop to us lo- a losing run. And then... I'd be then taken back out of the team because yeah. then the chairman would like, or the owners, whatever it might be, of like, this will happen. So I've had two of those managers call me up after they've left the club and say, well, that wasn't me. He was trying to force you out. That's not my style. I'm not that person. Da 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 da. I was told to do these instructions. I had a manager call me up and say, well, I was naming the team and I had four or five people on, a, on the team sheet to play and the owners would come in and take those names off to play their yeah. players that they brought in. Wow. So... That it happens on a regular basis. So this is it happened this weekend. Then we'll probably decide who's yeah, playing and who's not. Yeah. Um, so that's the type of thing. And and slowly when well, when he left and all that was going on, I was starting to I just I was starting to fall out of love with it. I part of my cartilage came away. I was struggling with my knee every single day and training and just like mm. and so on. And and it takes its toll. You know, you're battering your body to try and be cool. the best you can every day. And me drinking nonstop, I'm battering my body physically and mentally. So yeah. one. Great combination, to be honest. How, so much, see, how much are you drinking? It's good. I mean, when you say drinking every day, I'd no, I'd drink probably three bottles of red wine a day on my own, wow. and then just go into training. If I wasn't drinking that, then I'd be, as I've discussed to you before, I'd go out on a Saturday night with my friends, start then on a Sunday session at eleven a.m. in the morning, getting around about six a.m. the Monday morning, looking to train to. Monday morning about I'd leave about I've had about 45 minutes sleep to then go and train That this is what I find that I've, I've gone to a meeting on like an hour and a half sleep and yeah. it was fucking hell probably if everyone else in the room could smell me but like, <laughs> could, like how on earth because training is it's not like you go around and you sort of you know kick a ball about you're, you're training for a, a high level club how are you doing that 45 minutes I tell you what I was quite mad as well normally when I, the, the drunk I was the better I trained because <laughs> you're fearless but do you think yeah, that there's something wow. in that because I've felt before Sometimes with alcohol, sadly, it can maybe get rid of some anxieties or some pressure because you don't have any. You're, I think it blocks off like yeah. Your that's why I was drinking. It just blocks everything, doesn't it? When mm. people are having drink or they're doing drugs, they get to a point where they just they feel that that is just to block everything else out. Yeah. Um, but go into training and stuff, or the physio will be like, right, you you, you smell a booze this morning, mm. stay in here, or you know, keep away from the manager, or do this, or do that. Um, oh yeah, I used to be up to all sorts. I. I've, you know, I was out with, in, with my wife in Cardiff for my mate's birthday. I've punched my, I've punched a mirror, and then basically my bone was popping out. Of my, there's only a little scar now, but my, but the bone was popping out here. Yeah. So I've, I've just literally what I did, I wrapped a sock around it and then put my gloves on. It was like not even that cold, <laughs> and um, so I've got gloves on and it's boiling hot. And they're like, anyway, I just started like. My blood just pouring everywhere for like way too long. I should have had this. So I showed my physio. I said, "Look, I I fell over like last night. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't. I just punched a mirror and and um and yeah. So I had it stitched up. And it was like always oh, instance like that where the yes. physio would cover cover for me. And what were the lads like in the dressing room? Could they tell that you was going out? Yeah, they the could tell I was on a tell I was on you know on the piss a lot. And then mm. you know, I, were you on the piss with them? 
Not really, no. Only now and again, like we'd go out. We used to have a little. We do used to have a group of us where if we didn't have a midweek game, we'd go have a few beers on a Tuesday night. Yeah. You know, kind of like the old school kind of yeah. mentality yeah, yeah, of just of getting together. But it'd only be a few of us. Because um, that that is missed. I'm not like I'm saying the football pre-season. <laughs> the good old back. days. Yeah, yeah. The Jones and going yeah. on this. But I just think that there is there are good things about alcohol as well as obviously catastrophically bad things about alcohol. But one thing it definitely did seem like it fostered was that teammatemanship or whatever the word is or teammanship mm. within a squad. Like you look at how close some of those squads used to be when yeah. they used to go out and socialise together. Whereas now it's you're, you're gaming, you're playing Fortnite, or you know, I think that's the best. Like when we went to we went to. Marbella before for a pre-season tour with Birmingham and um, we had Gary Rowett there so it was about 33 degrees we were training so we had to train really early to and I think it was it was on like a Friday or it was coming up to the weekend so we trained in the morning we finished roughly around about half nine ten o'clock in the morning so I so the manager was like right I don't want you to go out on the piss don't do this don't do that and you know look after yourself you can go down the port have a little wonder about have two or three beers maximum or one you back 6pm anyone late you find mm. so I just said to the lads walking back up because we had to have this huge walk back from the pitches all the way to our hotel I was like fuck that <laughs> I was like you realise we have a pool party not far away from us Ocean Beach Club we're going wow <laughs> so we ran up all the lads we were like everyone was buzzing for it we were like we just had a tough week we thought like, come on dangle yeah. a carrot for us we want it so we rounded up a kitty for ourselves go there we just got absolutely smashed <laughs> came came or about four or five of us came in past the 6pm curfew mm. he was raging really? we had a player there I won't name his name but we had a player there who was linked with other clubs and Birmingham didn't want to sell him so he's banging on the window in front of the manager why didn't you just let me go I want to oh, I want to no, leave and I did that absolutely <laughs> steaming <laughs> so we were like oh this is good fun so the manager was just so chewing and raging that much, he didn't really care what we were doing. So we ended up going back out then to the <laughs> nightclub. <laughs> so then on the Monday morning, we go back into training. Um, and he's like, Cut, you think I'm stupid? You set up all this, all of you out on the piss. You can wow. all run around here. I hope it was worth it. And all the lads were like, It was definitely worth <laughs> it. We loved it. Oh, yeah. 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 So we miss that. He's talking about obviously social. When I was playing in Asia and stuff, because obviously the, the Muslims they don't drink and stuff. Mm. So after we were doing games and stuff, we never used to go out or anything. I'd missed I'd missed that for five yeah, years yeah. of just getting together. I think everyone, you know, I okay, I understand that everything in moderation, even moderation, but it definitely is something that mm. brings people together. Yeah, I think, of um, but there, you know, there are definitely. It depends what kind of like at Birmingham. At one stage, we had so many angry guys in there. We'd go out. We'd never like. <laughs> Uh, it just come like we just end up having a row over the most pathetic things. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So we kind of like can go both ways. You just need to have that fine balance. Whereas like I just didn't have no chill, and I just yeah. go push myself to the limits. Were you aware got... of that though? Were you aware of that? Yourself? Oh yeah, I, I just knew it was only a matter of time before I'd flip. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, Were you still at well? So you, I I know that you travelled to Euro 2016 with mm. with the Welsh squad. Was this? Uh, during the similar sort of era at Birmingham, that was probably I was, that was probably my lowest point in in life and career wise with when I went went to the Euros. Why is that? Just because I was mental health problems. I was just through the roof, um, and then when I went to the Euros, it's hard enough when you go on international duty anyway. When you're away from your family and you're stuck in a room for like a week or two weeks, whatever it might be. We were of that was like six to eight weeks. Yeah, it's because the country was doing really, really well. Yes, the, yeah, we know it was, it was 
for that reason, it was the highlights of you know being involved was amazing. So yeah. it's kind of like up and it couldn't like one end of the scale to the, to the next. And it was just that wise. It was as a buzz being involved to you know see that and have tournament experience and make your country proud being involved in the squad. Um, but then on the next level, when I went back to my hotel room, I was I was getting my wife. Um, my wife now at the time she, we were just speaking there and she would just get like Lego delivered to my hotel over there because Lego helped me with you know really? mental health and stuff yeah wow, wow. Okay. Uh, what, is, it, is that the, the kind of therapeutic building yeah it just takes your mind off you're worried about I know, like building a block rather yeah. than just <laughs> yeah, like yeah. what else is going on in life you, you, you spoke quite a lot about um, uh, people sort of telling you how lucky you are because I think yeah. it's interesting you're hearing we're saying wow well how could the Euro 2016 be a, you know, a bad experience did you find did you get quite sick of hearing that from people saying you're living every boy's dream yeah you're living everyone else's dream you're living every boy's dream of, of being there but you're at a tournament that you feel that you should at least be a part of, of playing the game you, you were training all week you're not playing then you're going back to a hotel room where you don't really want to yeah. be all that time you're lonely you're this and that and you're you know, you're missing your kids, you're missing whoever, you're missing that time and you just feel lonely. Well, I was in a lonely place already mm. anyway, but then oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, just because even with like the time of like drinking a lot, mm. but I'd try to hide, I'd, I'd hide that well because I'm always like one of the loudest ones in the dress room and like yeah. quite loud and bubbly and I know it's having banter. And, was that the same in Wales though? You still played that character? Yeah, I still would, like they would always, I would organise all like the nights out for mm. us and, and so on and, um, and we had, you know, a great group of people there. It's, but then I wouldn't tell the manager, or oh, by the way, don't don't pick me to go to the Euro squad because I'm in a pickle and I'm drinking nonstop. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not something you do. So did you have, you didn't have any therapy whilst you're out there or you weren't able to talk to... No, this is the thing is that we had a sports psychologist there, but, you know, a sports psychologist to having an actual psychologist is two different things. A sports psychologist is actually, he's, he's preparing you to do what's best for your country for and club, your yeah. career on that pitch, not... For your well-being off the pitch, if that yeah, makes sense, crazy, so they're partial. It? So, if anything, it's it's they're the last person you want to speak to because you might, if you say something about your mental health to that person, you're risking not getting. Well, you, yeah, you almost, yeah, because yeah. he's obviously if he's tight with a manager as well, he's going to say that some manager he's not mentally ready to go and prepare no. for like the Euros. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's that's the last else. thing you want. Isn't it? That's the last thing so you how, want. So how did this feel then? Who could you who could you speak to about how you were feeling? No, and this is what I'm talking about. Where in terms of football, that they need it should be compulsory that they have these people in place. What what sort of thing do you think would have helped you at that time? Um, I'm not sure. Probably, to be honest, I would have never even spoken about it because I wasn't going to jeopardize, you know, putting food on the table no. for my kids. Basically, is so to speak. Is like I'm not going to jeopardize my career. I was just thinking, just get through it and and. Do this and do that, but I was in such a place that it was it was just mad, really. And, and what kind of uh, if you maybe don't want me going that deep, but what kind of thoughts and, and feelings were you having? What and where do you know where it came from? I think well, I suffered with mental health from the age of thirteen. I just never used to. It just actually just got worse and worse and worse. And then when you're getting worse and you keep it all locked in, yeah. Then you kept. Then I then I was like not playing football. Then I was having a divorce. Then I didn't have the support. And then before you know, it's all adding up and adding yeah. up. Before you just lose control. And like obviously with my wife now, I was, you know, we'd go out, we'd have like the best times, like drink or whatever it might be. We'd go on a drinking session, and I'd just go back up, just smash shit out of my flat. And my brother-in-law is a plasterer, so he would come round, fill all in the holes. You just oh, think, oh, he's gone on a mad one, but he wouldn't. But I don't think he he knew the extent a little bit. Yeah. Um, but then I just I've been like the laying on my kitchen floor with like a knife to my stomach, trying to stab, but because I was so drunk, I'd like miss. 
and pass out. My wife would obviously take the knife off me. Wow. I'd like fall asleep and then wake up the next day and I'd kind of act as a little normal and she'd obviously really upset mm. because she's like worried about me. Do you know what I mean? So, and then it comes to a point where she didn't want to go out drinking with me. She don't want to go out drinking with me now, really, because she still feels, you know, it's not good for me and mm. she don't want to argue. So she feels it's better to be out of the way. And do you know what I mean? So would you get into this, this toxic place only with alcohol? Do you find? Oh, no, on a day to, even like day-to-day -day basis now, like well, this is the thing. When people say, oh, oh, you've recovered now from mental health, you're doing this and doing that, I, I personally feel that you never actually fully recover. You just find the right coping mechanisms to cope, to deal with things yeah. a lot better. You just find the right way. Um, and you have to keep on top of it because, you know, I'm still getting counselling. Like the other day I was driving to Cardiff and I'm like on having a two-hour call with my therapist to, you know, do this, do that. And she always sets me targets, right, in two or three weeks, how, how do you want to feel? What place do you want to be in? So, mm. you know, I, I always need um, reminding about that because you don't want to let yourself get in that dark place. But it's not always with alcohol. Like on a day-to-day -day basis, if something gets right up my nose, then mm. I, I need to do it. So looking back, do you think it was a lot of the situations you had at the clubs that impacted your negative mental health or was it always there even when you were playing and getting picked on a regular basis? I think like the pressures from like a younger age you feel like you can deal with it as well but you have to think I was all growing up in school I was brought up on a council estate so you you have like things like you know your mates not necessarily mates because they're saying to you oh, you won't make it as a footballer because you're not good enough or mm. no one makes it from around here because you know we're, not we're in like yeah. this area or whatever it might be no one's meant to make it yeah so you're always like fighting against people to try and prove yourself if that makes sense mm -hmm. so like from an early age like when you're in the first team of 16 I'd then go back to Cardiff people wouldn't speak to me who were my friends before because I'm now a professional footballer yeah. and and so on and so forth so you're always dealing with those sort of issues and um, as a footballer or people in like the limelight you always have to protect yourself from that because you know you're going out you're getting someone taking a photo of you and, mm. and so on and so forth Do you think there was a lot of pressure being with, with, with looking back so that move going to Wigan, would you have changed that now? Like, do you think that contributed to a lot of your negative mental force? I think that this is what I would... I think agents in the game nowadays are even worse than probably back then, but even then it's kind of like, right, how much money can I make mm. through this rather money. than looking after that player? Like, they don't have the, always the best um, interest, yeah, best yeah. intentions of that person, um, which is a shame, really, because... If you were, you got you. You know, if you got a great asset and they go in there already, you can imagine if you put your arm around them and be the right support. They, you know, the sky yeah, the cool. limit for that person really. So you're going through this hard time, obviously now at Birmingham and stuff, and you're coming. You're being more aware of what's what what you're dealing with inside and out. Calcutta comes. Was that through your agent? Was that through you? Was that? That was actually through me. Yeah. Um, a, a, a sports scientist actually who was. Um, my sports science guy at Doncaster said, oh, do you fancy going abroad and, and getting a, cha a, a change? And I always fancied playing abroad anyway. Mm. Ideally, I wanted to go to Spain. <laughs> Somewhere like, Draw. you know, yeah. Qatar, you know, like Qatar or Dubai or something. Oh, okay, you know right, so, so, yeah. yeah. Malaysia. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I wanted a change of like, just for like a scenery, well, scenery and, and, you know, experience different things in life, different cultures. And um, so I chose to go to India. So, Mick McCarthy called me up. He wanted me to sign for Ipswich. Offered me like a year contract. Um, I still and I had the Indian offer on the table. And my wife was due to give birth at any given time. So we were going to go over there for four to six weeks because that was my contract base and then come back. Um, 
and then we'd be in time ready for the birth. But the day day before we had a scan and she was told our oh, placenta is too low, so she wasn't allowed to fly. It's dangerous for her and the baby. So she stayed on, which was on a great start. So I ended up going to India on my own in this mad place. Until you've been there, you can't really... No, it's crazy. Explain it, it mm. how it's just a culture shock. But the Indian league doesn't. It's not like because I know it runs very short, isn't it? It's mm. only like for like two, or f- is it three or four months? Yeah, and it's not like, even that. And then it's not like many games, and it's just yeah, like yeah. really like different. But when you when you get there, it's just like such a cu- culture shock because I remember when I was one of the games towards the end. The reason why I was allowed to come back early is because I got injured. So I was in a stand this one time in the in the owner's box, and outside you got like people who were you know, clearly living on the streets. They're looking through the windows and they're starving. Mm -hmm. So I went outside, gave them some food and gave them drinks. And I just like looked around. I'm thinking, you've got people here so poor. You're all billionaires eating this food and you're just not like... it's a crazy contrast. I remember because we we had an away game in India and we stayed at this five-star hotel. You do, don't you? You stay in a hotel, don't you? This amazing five-star hotel. But around the whole hotel was shit. I'm mm-hmm. talking like, it was crazy. You'd step out of the hotel and there would be about 40, 50 beggars just waiting. It was wow. a horrendous thing to see and obviously you live, you live there so you, it must yeah, be such a Yeah, it's mad because like, as you say, we live in a hotel, we had all security around. You could go outside if you wanted to go for a walk or, or you'd even come out on the, on the coach and things. You just got people you know, washing like buckets with like, you know, builders hats or you've got people peeing in the street or they're living in like buildings that haven't even been finished. You've got mm. windows on and you can see they got their blankets are up there. And Did that make you feel extremely grateful for what you've had? Like, obviously... I always kept on FaceTime my two kids who yeah. were like 11 and 8 and I was like, I should bring you here to appreciate more things in yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And how was that? I mean, you know, again... Did it bring you back to the moments when you were in the Euros when you're sort of in that hotel room being like... Oh, business I was, yeah, I was, I was bored out of my nut because you have to... You couldn't even trust like what you were eating because you didn't know what... You know what I mean? You're doing like the, the deli belly or whatever yeah, you want to call yeah, yeah. it. So you literally... You're in a room and everyone was just doing their own thing wherever it was because, you know, they were local lads or whatever it might be. So they're chilling together and you don't have the same interests. So it was really difficult. So you end up being on your own a lot more. Yeah. So you're, uh, I think you speaking out recently about mental health, did it coincide with your retirement? Do you think that you had to retire to be able to do that? Or had you started speaking to your teammates during this time or just before your retirement anyway? My teammates always thought that, oh yeah, he's a crazy guy or whatever it might be. And now looking back when they see things that I used to do, like drink and build Lego, they're like, oh. I was like, well, you know, people who drink and when you're an athlete like that, they're not drinking for no reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it got to a point where I thought I had enough of football to do with politics, fell out of love with it, didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and then I thought I'd come out of a mental health. A lot of people at that time, well, I don't know if a lot of people, but they probably thought it was his way of like maybe getting another club or find their way back. I had loads of offers to stay in the game. I just chose not to. I wanted to find another way. The reason why I retired is because mentally I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I was drained from it all. Mm. Um and then also, I didn't want to put my family in the same position of like, right, let's bounce from club to club, mm. having a one-year contract, not knowing what I'm going to do then after football. Yeah. So I wanted to get like a, a career in place for me to have more longevity, really, and and do do something different that I've I've not done before. So obviously now you're doing an amazing thing with you know depression and mental health coming out, helping the next generation of young kids and stuff. Looking back, I hope you don't mind me asking. Obviously, you said you shared the car of Gary Speed, mm. and you know that mm. was looking back at his career and people never, you know, it was such a shock to the footballing nation and stuff. When you were in the car of him, was there anything that you felt, you know? The telltale sign. Yeah. Not really, no, like sometimes, he was, he's like anyone really, sometimes some people are mourning people and some people are not. Um, 
he was up and down like that, just bec- just like I was. But then, just like other people, was sometimes you wake up a little bit tired or whatever it might be. But you could never gauge if he was ever down to you know in that respect. And he was always a very positive guy, always very family orientated, and he was just like an amazing person, really. So I can't really say that I did see anything yeah. coming. No, no, for sure, no. What do you hope to do then now that you're you've come out talking about mental health? Are you trying to change the way the PFA operates or how um, the game operates? No, that's not really my... I can, I'm going to try and help and hopefully, you know, a lot of footballers have messaged me and a lot of younger people. I've I've been going around to academies, talking to them. I'm happy to go and do that and and say, you know, my story and, and whatever and try and help them as best as possible. But um, I'm, open, I'm going to open my own foundation up and try and get something going on with like a local gym actually where I was based from in Cardiff. Um, another organised charity. Try and I think exercise is is good for like for mental yeah, health. Massively. So we're trying. So the the money I'm going to raise, you know, with with my mental health badges, my foundation, I'm going to um, pay for these people to go to the classes there to because a lot of people suffering mental health. They might not have the money to get the right help that they need. Um, and I feel like that a lot of people out there are still charging through the roof to help people because because they can and they know it and they're using that as kind of their weapon so to speak so I'm going to try and help as many people and and try and get people exercising and knowing that they won't have a, a problem to pay for it it'll be mm-hmm. like a free session for yeah, them amazing That's nice. so d- how how does how do we prevent uh, in professional football future stories like yourself or, or um, is there anything that I can th- be done I think honestly we're probably going to have another disaster of something along those lines until we actually try and get you know a kick yeah. up the backside because all this is happening with the PFA um I know they do you know certain great things and you know there are great people in there but I think towards mental health I think they spend like 400 grand a year on mental health but apart from mm. cancer it could be as simple and I just Think about how business is approaching this. We had somebody on here two episodes ago that was speaking about the effects within, you know, again, high net worth individuals in banks. You know, there were two mm. suicides at a bank with only 40 people, you know, in a year. And then I think six of the year after, so there's clearly a problem. I think, have you ever seen Billions before? There's a yeah. there's a, the lady there that's kind of on site the whole time. Could it be as simple, you know, football's not short of money. No. Could it be as simple as having a uh, completely confidential But clubs don't person? want to pay it. Yeah, well, would it, would it be better? Which I find quite bizarre space? because I, I think that if you're paying someone to work there full time, yeah, what's the therapist going to cost you? It's thirty, forty thousand pound a year. Mm, probably more. What yeah. is what? Well, it depends what they're doing. But what is that to to a big club, right? Yeah, to a big club and putting that into your assets that are going to generate millions, yes. especially in this market. And if anything, a, I think I think the players that today probably need it. Well, I'm not saying need it more, but with Instagram, with social media, mm. there's a lot more to hide behind. Yeah, like you can literally pretend that you're the happiest kid alive. You have living this great lavish life because you're a footballer, etc. X, Y, Z. You've mm. got the lavish car, and it's all on Instagram. You're happy, but. You know, who's there to actually fucking know yeah. what's actually wrong? Yeah, you're told how to be fit physically but not mentally, which is mm. almost bizarre. Because yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lot of clubs are actually trying to do it. I know with the, the device that I'm working player maker, the football device that I'm working on, we went into Wolves, and Wolves are actually doing really great things there. I can only speak from them because, you know, they told me what they do. So they they have um, lessons and sessions on social media, how to protect you on social media, don't respond to people on social media, and then to do with girls and don't get in trouble and put yourself in those situations and then it's all different things and then obviously mental health as well so um, there are clubs who are actually doing it 
Um, but it's not but also, it's not, just, it's not just down to like the PFA to sort these things. It's yeah. like the clubs within as yeah, well. They need to set things in place themselves. So it's mm. kind of like, I think we've got a lot of old school and mentality in football and for sure because they're not moving with the times. Mm. Like, there's still old ideas of like, right, you need to toughen up. It's kind of like, well, you're feeling down about something. Don't feel, don't feel that way then. Man up, yeah. Mm. yeah. Instead of like, well, trying to get to the root of the problem. Yeah. Um, where I think there's younger and fresher ideas need to come into place to, to move it forward. Brilliant. When we see players going through rough patches of form, some of that sometimes, like strikers in particular, I feel like you must battle a lot internally when you're not scoring goals. Do you think, um, do you think that, I can't get my words out here, but if, if, a, if a striker's struggling mentally nowadays, do you think it could be to do with anxiety or anything like that? I think, yeah, you never, obviously sometimes it's not always the case, but... You know, he is going to feel low on confidence of some sort of extent because, you know, for example, Morata, he's banging in goals for fun, mm. then goes to Chelsea, don't start scoring goals, but then you have a huge amount of people on his back saying, you're yeah, rubbish, yeah, you're yeah, this, yeah, you're yeah. that. He probably can't go anywhere in yeah. London without getting told oh, he can't course. score a goal. So um, so it's all those sort of things. But then we're always, we're always quick to judge. We never know what people are actually feeling deep down. Yeah. Imagine that as a player. So imagine, okay, you 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 haven't scored. You're on a goal drought. You're you're getting paid to score every. So there's mm. pressure from your manager, pressure from your teammates. On top of that, there's pressure to keep your contract to put food on the table for your kids. Yeah. On top of that, because you're not scoring, you go home and you have fucking twenty thousand comments mm. on your social media saying how shit you are. It's, yeah. It's funny because in mad. football, it's because of the tribalism that you, sadly, you enjoy players being like flopping because it's like that's Chelsea I hate personally hate Chelsea as a club being a Spurs fan so you don't want to see someone like Morata banging in goals for fun just mm. from the tribalism point of view mm. so that's why you get those fans creating this sort of meme atmosphere where you're just mm. poking fun at oh he's flopped he like, flopped don't get me wrong no it is a bit of it's banter as well mm. um, unfortunately if someone takes yeah. the brunt of it don't they so but it's just one of those things that like, I remember when I when I signed for actually Swansea mm. I'm a Cardiff boy so Around the local area, everyone's Judas. a Cardiff fan. So yeah. I was, I was thinking. I knew there was rivalry, but I didn't think it'd be that. So my parents' house got sprayed and called like they put like "you jack bastard" on the wow. side of the house. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, I was out somewhere in Cardiff, and the um, and this this guy came up to me. He was obviously a Cardiff fan. And he was just like, "You're a disgrace. You are going signing for Swansea." Blah blah blah. I said, "Excuse me." <laughs> Don't ever do that ever again <laughs> when I'm with my kids, for one, mm. because yeah, this yeah. is rude. Like, if you want to deal with me one-on-one, then come and see me one-on-one, but don't disrespect my family and come to me and, you know, speak yeah. like that in front of them. Because um, they were young kids at the time. It might, you know, you might be scared, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, some yeah. random guy comes to shout at your dad yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and I said, oh, what do you do for a living? And he, <laughs> and he was like, oh, I'm a painter and decorator. My dad's a painter and decorator. So I said, oh, so if you get a job in Swansea and they offer you... <laughs> double your salary and what you're getting in Cardiff what are you going to do he's like oh, I drive to drive to Swansea said, exactly so I'm putting food on the table for my kids yeah. wow, you just concentrate nice. on what you're doing so a job's a job it's, it's a job exactly. at it's the end of it it is a job so I said so next time you should think about what you're going to do nice. I said so you a jack bastard for going down to Swansea <laughs> for uh, doing you know, a painting job yeah. uh, by the way right, can you paint my mum's house <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> so talk to us about uh, playmaker things I know this is what you're doing now yeah, yeah. so it's a football device that um it basically, tr- I'll tell you what I liked about this thing, which is, mm. I'll tell you in a minute, but, so basically it's, um, tracks physical data and it's on, it goes on the outskirts of your boot, um, with a device, it's incredible, um, technology, which is based in Israel. And so it 
traction of the gate and, and so on and the power that you can generate from pushing off either foot. So it will tell you if your right leg's stronger or your left leg is weaker. Oh. Um, but it also got the passing mechanisms as well. So if you pass to someone or you give the ball away, it can track ball um, retention basically instead of you know, just more physical data, which no other device has got that or technology has got that out there right now. So um, it's more, it's better than GPS, isn't it? Also, yeah, because I feel like with GPS, it's on your shoulders. How can you yeah. detect of what your leg power is or your movements if it's not on your feet, basically? Yeah. So um, that's the, I feel really passionate about it. It's like great people there and they're trying to change the world and it's it's really exciting stuff. Mm. And How does it fit? Or is it literally just like a little strap around? Yeah, it's just like, kind of like a strap. So we had um, a guy who worked for Nike for like 20 years. He um, actually designed the, you know, like all the big boots like from Ronaldo, all, the, all those sort of things. Um, and he... He, he designed the way it fit on the boot and it fits perfectly well but you know it, it's only a matter of time like technology will probably go in the boot or go in trainers and, yeah, yeah, and so yeah. on and so forth so yeah. um, it's exciting to be a part of and it, it's definitely going to change this you know probably life to be honest because it can be a health um, you know if someone's struggling injury wise it can be injury prevention yeah. as well interesting that sounds exciting have you started selling to clubs yet have you kind of yeah we're going into clubs we're going all over the world and that's my job to get us into clubs <laughs> and, and see what we can do. And we know we've got a great team as well on board who, who were doing that. But the thing that I like about this is that we went to um, a club and the results come up with the players and stuff. So you can actually see their form from training. And so the coach pointed out a, a kid who was struggling at this one club. He's like, he's not been right the last few days and this just backs it up. And he went and spoke to that player and the player was burst out crying. Wow. He's like, have you been struggling or something with something? You need to tell me, kind of thing, because the results have just come up and you're normally our best player in training. You've been in training with the first team, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And he was just like, he was homesick and stuff. So these oh, results wow. were gauging mm. whether these players it's needed... Really interesting. Yeah, so it's really so, similar to the Kinsey thing, but the completely mm. different um, measurements, that was more measuring... Yeah, so you can kind of build like a player profile up of how they're actually training. Mm. And if they're training really well, you can see that. And if the form's dipping, you can maybe go and speak to them and say, look, why is your form dipping? Yeah. Is it you've got pressures at home or you've got this? It might not be that, but you know, every little helps to help the coach. Nice. It's good. We're closing to end, so I want to make sure we get our stock questions in. Yeah, um, do it. Well, we've got, we'll do questions questions from our fans. But yeah, have you got some questions? Got some questions. I mean, have you got yeah. three? <laughs> <laughs> That's my mum, Ian's mum. I wanted to know about... Um, well, young footballers going abroad. Do yeah. you think? Uh, do you, what's your what's your kind of view on that? Do you think there's that the players should be encouraged to go abroad now because of the opportunities at in Premier League, particularly at the bigger clubs? You know, they've got loads of players and they're not getting the opportunities. What's th- your kind of view of players going abroad? No, I th- yeah, I think it's it's good if they're going to end up playing first team football. They're going to you know they're having a change in culture um, and just learning new things. And if they're playing first team football, like we have a lot of foreign players who come over to the English league and they're young. So why can't we go over and do the same thing? So I think it's amazing for, to explore, you know, uh, to explore a different culture and to, you know, open up the minds to, and just to play regular first team football rather than just being a waste in these academies over here if you're not going to play first team football. Mm-hmm. Those are actually two of our questions, bizarrely. No, two, well, one find. of the things okay, that we said around the, the moving abroad as well. Oh well, yeah, well, I'll go on for Mr. Joel Fraser. And um, he says, obvious but good to know, what do the players make of gigs missing all those games? Um, to be honest, I was only in a few, a few of the squads with him and I think... I think that's why Bell so cherished a lot more because he would turn up for his country and 
and he would just go through the pain barrier for and he would always he's more of um like a group person is what I would mm. say is that he would fight for us you know a lot more mm. rather than you got to remember Giggs was probably one of the first superstars so he probably didn't know yeah. any different like he was mm. a young superstar and and then the pressure was on him you know a lot as well with Wales but um you, as I said before, you don't know whether the manager at Man United was like, well, Alex Ferguson was saying to him, look, you know, if you've got a niggle here, then maybe miss that so we can make you fresh here. You'd never know what is exactly going on. You'd never mm. know if he is actually carrying an injury. And he, did, you know, like he still had a fair amount of caps. Yeah. He had like 60, 70 caps, so it's not exactly he did not turn up. Um, yeah. I think he just takes a, a lot of the brunt for it just because he was the most recognisable superstar in the squad. Nice. What was it like? being with Gareth Bell in those kind of team scenarios like when you would go out in public or whatever oh, crazy like it's, it? I remember um, we went to Israel and he came and it was just ridiculous amounts of Real Madrid fans just camping outside just to see him it was just like oh, mad just to see him for two seconds walk past and no he's a superstar he can't go anywhere well, then Madrid made him an absolute unit, didn't they? I remember that that picture. Pictures of we him. We were now. saying this. Though, saying I mean, that yeah, David was saying, "Why is it that everyone that goes to Madrid turns out to be stacked? Like, <laughs> what are they? Yeah, yeah, what yeah, are they feeding them? Like, they're all yeah. stacked out. Yeah, they're not stacked. Like, what was what was it at training? Then what was he like putting in extras or anything like that? You do No, he does. He does practice um, free kicks and what he's good. That's what I love about him. Is that like, I think he he just won the Champions League again, and and then. You know, a few days later, he came away training with Wales and he's practicing free kicks. That just shows he loves that, it. you know, he loves it. He's just like determined character, and yeah. and that's the reason why he's at the top of his game because he just won the Champions League. Anyone else would just be out on the out on the piss, and he's just come back and yeah. practicing free kicks. So, yeah. well, there's that fake. There's that. Remember when Ronaldo was in the gym with Rio Ferdinand and they were doing sit ups or something, mm. and Ronaldo would always do like 20 extra, and they were like, What are you doing? He's like, I'm better than you. I'm gonna. I'm always gonna be better than you. I'm gonna be the best <laughs> in the world. Always do extra. Um, I've got another another question from Abram. He's from Dudley. Yeah. Dudley. Uh, Jordan Humphreys, and he just asked, um, "What was the best derby you've ever played in?" Um, the Villa and Birmingham one's actually a good one, and um, I'd probably say the Sheffield derbies I really enjoyed as well. Yeah. Was it like proper gritty? Like Villa and Birmingham must have been a a, a proper gritty. Yeah, they're always like tough games, aren't yeah. they? Because you got like the big crowds, and you got like no one wants to lose those games even extra than before, and it's like always like kind of like tight games. But mm. um, it was no, I loved the I loved the Birmingham derby. Yeah. I, love I had one from my friend Will Dyer. Uh, he wanted to know what your best footballing memory is. Um, probably playing at Old Trafford because I was a Man United fan, and well, my and my Premier League my. I got a few to be fair. So my <laughs> my first team debut for Bristol City, obviously being so young at sixteen, um, playing in the Premier League at Old Trafford, and obviously my Welsh debut as well. Nice, love it. Back to our stock question then. So the last um, question I will ask is: We're well, sacking this one off, no? No, no, I like uh, this one, <laughs> and, and this time I'm going to get it right. Um, it's actually it's, again, it's attached to mental. Or it could be attached to anything you want. Um, the responses we've had are extremely varied. I'm not going to tell you what they are just yet, just in case you try and mimic one of them. We need to make yeah. T-shirts of what. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, we've got a plan. But um, the question is, if you had a megaphone and a room full of 21 year olds, any any sex, yeah, any gender, um, what would you say to those people to give them advice about life? Yeah, ten years ago. Whew. Oh, it's a tough question. Tough you know? one, isn't it? it is a tough one. I think, 
I'd, I'd always advise them to work as hard as they can and but enjoy life as well and not let things affect them too much. And if they are suffering with mental health, which I found 10 years later on because I'm 31 now, mm. I think if it's anything along those lines, then try and speak about it as soon as possible because you mm. do feel a lot better for it. Whether it's not, you don't have to shout to the whole world, like, um, you know, in this sense of trying to help other people. But it's, you know, if you even if you speak to one person, you're openly admitting your faults and you can actually work on to become like a better person um, and work on your goals that will help you for, you know, the ne next 30, 40 years. What would, you, what would you tell yourself? I'd probably, I'd probably tell myself to be a lot more patient at that age. Um, I wanted everything given to me quite quickly. When I wasn't getting it, I'd think, right, come on. Because I was going back from when I was playing for so early on, I was used to playing. When I wasn't playing then, I wish I just, I was a lot more patient and um, and just went with that really and listened to the managers a little bit more mm. um, and and just worked hard and actually spoke to people, uh, you know, about mental health to, to help me in the right way. Nice, love it. What what I love about that is you're the first person to do it in under four words. <laughs> Sorry, not in over four words. Over four because yeah. we've had eat veg. I, I won't even go through the best. Yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole plethora of different responses. But thank you. That, that means a lot. What were you gonna say? <laughs> Will Gareth Bale ever come back to Tottenham? <laughs> <laughs> He's not Santa. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, Can you make it happen? Do you want him back? I want you him were back. booing him not long ago. Yeah. Wasn't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but now we love him. It's only if Harry Redknapp takes over to be his manager. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, right. fine. Well, on that, we'll have to leave Cheers, with guys. not knowing. He um, nodded, by the way. Oh, he nodded. Yeah. Right, okay, yeah. Got so there. we got that on camera, which <laughs> yeah. we forgot about. All right, David, um, thank you so much. It's been a joy speaking to you, and uh, we'll tag you in everything. If you do want to follow David on Instagram or on any social media, you can find, find him, him on. at... I think it's David Cottrell 11 on Instagram. I'm nice. also on Twitter as well, and you can find me. It's easy. Amazing. David, thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at Dog Days Pod. Leave us a comment, let us know what you think, and we'll see you next week.